Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I want to welcome the 45 plus countries literally listening from all around the world. Guys, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you have not left a review, well, what are you waiting for? I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review today so that other innovators just like you can find this podcast. Well, guys, today my guest is Ken Lundin. And he is the founder of Ken Lundin and Associates and the creator of Sales Alpha Roadmap. Ken found his mission through a very difficult life circumstance, which I'm excited to have him share with us today. And he has a unique perspective on thriving during difficult times. And his considerable sales acumen has obviously helped him in this. And I'm excited to lean into that a little bit. And so he became a consultant in order to bring a systematic process to other companies. Can somebody say, amen, like we, <laughs> companies need that. And he also was able to help them through some difficult changes and challenging times. And so I'm so excited to have Ken on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thanks, Natalie. That, that's a great introduction. I really appreciate <laughs> it. That was very nice. Awesome. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I think that one of my life mantras is that we learn the most through hard times and the most through failure. And so you have just this phenomenal comeback story, which everybody loves an underdog. I would love if you would talk just a little bit about, you know, 2011, kind of what happened for you in that time. And then what was created out of that season? Like what was the passion that came from that hard season of your life? Yeah, I guess probably the best way. So, you know, I live just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And outside of maybe the ice storm that I probably got international press when like everybody in Atlanta was frozen in place on a freeway five years ago. But outside of that, you know, we don't get a lot of real crazy weather. So if you just kind of picture standing in my living room and then uh, hearing a knock on my door and I go to answer the door and my 12 year old, my middle child comes up beside me like they do, you know, super curious about what's happening. We're a week into December and it's getting close to Christmas. There's a lot of excitement got the blow up dolls of Santa and everybody on the front lawn, you know, and then this guy is standing at the front door with a very confused look on his face. And then I see over in the driveway, another gentleman with a truck and they look confused. He looks confused too. And he says, you know, do you live here? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, we just bought your house in an auction. What? And yeah, so for those of you who don't know back in the, what we call the great recession back in the 2008 area, there was a thing with the banks where you could refinance these high interest rates, right? Everybody was getting beat up due to the recession. But the caveat was that you had to be 90 days late on all of your mortgage payments. And so you go from being an on-time payer who's struggling to, okay, well, I'll go into that system. And two different sides of the bank worked the system at that time. So one side, we thought we were getting into a new negotiated rate. And the other side, it sold the house from out under me. So- You know, that's 2011 standing there, you know, for what it was, they were nice guys. They said, yeah, you can stay in the house till New Year's. So, so wow. we had, you know, so we had a three week period there where we had to really literally uproot our lives in a somewhat unexpected fashion. And so, you know, that was that, that moment. And, you know, from there, I won't go into all the hardships, but let's just say emotionally 
for those of you who've ever been kicked in the teeth that hard, having to explain to your family why you why you failed them. You know, we ended up moving, going through this process, and what that really got me to understand was something, and that was I didn't want anyone else who could avoid it to go through that like I did. So the best way I could do my service and the best way that we could bring it together with my company was if your product or service is worth seeing, we want to make sure that you don't die just because you're underseen. And so what we've done is pulled together a way to put together a systematic way to provide B2B companies an opportunity to sell more throughout the world. Wow. That is, I'm just, when you said that your company doesn't die because it's underseen, I really feel like that is such the bulk of most companies. I know that sometimes we get out there and the business model isn't viable, but a lot of times it's just that piece of being underseen. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about what do most companies need to consider as they think about this idea of being underseen and like, what was the catalyst right in that season that really made you lean into this idea of, of being underseen? Well, you know, when we came through, that was my first business and I had purchased that business and it was a home improvement company of all things. And I didn't do it because I had a construction background. I didn't do it because I liked building things. You know, I did it because I wanted to recreate off a model that I had helped build with the original parent company where we had gone from, you know, nine locations to 70 locations in about four years. You know, the idea was as you go through this, our sales had gone from, I grew the company when I bought it about 300% in about 18 months. And then just kept hitting my head up against these plateaus, you know, and even with a sales background, it was there. And so what was interesting is being underseen is a real problem. And it's a problem that's unusually easy. I don't want to say easy, but there's a systematic way to solve it. As an example, I know that you've had experience and had a couple patents filed under your belt. Those patents don't do anything for anybody unless you can actually get someone to see it and say, you know what? That cures a problem I have. And so that's one of the big components of this. You get so many companies who have small amounts of visibility into their company that, you know, they're doing a six bucks or a million bucks in sales now, and they're living a lifestyle dream when they have so much more to offer the world. Yeah. It's like, what good is your message if nobody ever hears it or sees it? (laughs) You can have the best message in the world, but if no one actually gets visibility to it, it doesn't matter. Well, I would love to talk a little bit because, so this new organization, this new company you've built, it's really built upon this sales consulting model, which I would say people, and I've spent some time in sales. And so number one, I have a huge amount of respect if you're listening to this podcast and you do sales or you've ever done sales, because it is not for the faint of heart. But what most entrepreneurs don't realize is that guess what? When you're an entrepreneur, that's one of the hats you wear. Like you are a salesperson. And so that can be super terrifying for people. They have a phenomenal idea. They want to get it out there into the world. And they don't realize, oh, I'm the one that's got to sell it. So can you talk a little bit about kind of how you've taken the traditional sales consulting model and maybe turn it on its head a little bit to make it work within this new ecosystem that we live in now? Yeah. And I think one of the points you made that I want to skip by is most really, if you look at where all the uh, venture capital and private equity money goes throughout the world, the vast majority of it goes to people who are incredibly intelligent about a thing, yeah. right? So their product smart, their technology smart. The thing they created was out of their technical expertise. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> Somebody coined this phrase, you know, product-led sales. Yes. And so it has all these technical founders thinking, if I just make the product good enough, 
it'll sell itself. <laughs> and the truth is there's nothing further than from the truth. Right. And so, yeah, so what we found was this, as we said, look, there's really two sides to the sales consulting world. And I believe firmly that sales consulting as an industry is pretty darn broken. So one of them is you have these sales trainers and coaches and they come in and they just train your sales team or train you. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with that is that the Effingham forgetting curve says you'll forget 77% of what they taught you inside seven days and 95% of it within 120. Oh my gosh. Right. So just light that cash on fire. <laughs> Right. Light your rubles on fire, like whatever it is, and just go ahead and burn it. Or, you know what? Better yet, just go have a fantastic dinner with your family and friends. Right. And then there's the other side of it, which is the sales consultancy side and that traditional model of, hey, we're going to walk in and tell you why you should do something and what you should do. Mm. And then we're going to give you a pretty PowerPoint deck that you overpaid for. Yep. And then we're going to say, but you guys just go figure it out. <laughs> and figuratively, that digital file is going to sit in the corner of your desk and gain, just grab dust. Yeah. And so what we've done with our model is we've said, look, founders, executives, business owners, VPs of sales already have a full-time job. And so not only are we going to help you figure out why you need to do it, what you need to do based on best practices, but we're actually going to help you operationalize it and help you do the work. And so from that perspective, we find that that gives us a lot more bandwidth to be able to help companies actually get it done. You know, I know that I've hired more consultants than I should. Yep. Until I figured out I was the actual bottleneck because they were telling me why to do it and what to do, but I couldn't actually have the time to operationalize it. So that's how we've changed our model, you know, using our sales alpha roadmap and then, you know, our programs like the revenue acceleration program. So I would love to know a little bit more about how this works because, you know, to your point as a consultant, that's the hardest part, right? So usually what we find is that that's exactly where the consultant rolls off. You had a pretty deck that you have to figure out how to navigate. It's usually 50 pages or more, and it does collect dust. And that's a real issue, I think, with consultants. So there is this piece that you're talking about where you operationalize it, where you actually take the principles that you've outlined and you put them to work within the business. And I would love to just know a little bit more about how you deploy your team into an organization in order to do that. Okay, great. So let me start by saying this. It's hard. (laughs) So I'll tell you. Like from that perspective, you know, I was, I'm always, I'm looking, I believe in the power of expertise outside of my areas of own expertise. So I'll just kind of start the story with saying, so I talked with some of uh, Tony Robbins team and their coaching model <laughs> and think? I explained to him what I was doing. And he said, yeah, we looked at doing right. that. It's too hard. <laughs> so I was like, first of all, thank you. Go away. Like, you know, okay, well, I'm not hiring you. But what it comes down to is this, you have to have the ability now you have often have entrepreneurs or businesses that have yeah. realized that the problem is big enough that it has to be solved and that they want to be able to take advantage of best practices. As a company, what they have to understand is that we're going to come at them with 70% of the stuff they need pre-baked. And then the remaining 30%, we will work with them to customize based upon what works best inside their environment or what they're doing. Our companies typically have run into a place where they've hired a VP of sales, fired mm-hmm. a VP of sales, hired some yep. salespeople, fired some salespeople. And so the hardest part of this is the friction and the change of human behavior. Yeah. Because you as an ownership group can love the idea and know that the best practices are there, see that they're based upon research, but then have a sales team who hasn't had to be accountable to you. And that's part of the reason why you've failed to sell as much as you want. And then all of a sudden you're saying, hey, guys, we're changing the game. You're getting off this boat and into this boat. And they all go, wait, wait, wait. They've got one foot in each. And they're like, I don't want to move. Yeah. 
So the yeah. way we deploy our team is we have a senior consultant and then we'll bring in other consultants that work with them on the project, whether it's rebuilding personas, which by the way, everybody's persona and niche that I've ever run into stinks, yeah. which is a problem with selling. And then we'll take it and we'll push them through. How do you build the process of sales? What do you do next? And so we have a very linear, systematic way to test messaging to make sure that we're doing things because quite frankly, if you don't follow the process, which most people don't, um, it costs you too much to sell stuff. You don't have the margins you want and you don't have the ability to make the decisions you'd like to make as a business leader. Yeah, that's so good, man. And just everything you're saying there, I think it's all the problems, just as I'm listening to you tick the boxes, it's all the problems that, that people in a sales type position are hitting their head up against the wall about every single day. And so yes, to all that. So I would imagine that sometimes when you're in these organizations, the hardest person to change might be the head of the organization. What does that look like to outside influence, maybe the leadership team to also go on that journey with you? Because to your point, everybody has to change, right? Salespeople yep. have to be more accountable, which means somebody actually has to hold them accountable as well. Yeah, that's true. I, so I think it's interesting because the types of changes vary by role because they are specific changes, but it's like leadership we actually have pre-written templates that the leadership can use to help communicate the decisions on why they're making the changes they're making based on the data they can pull from their own organization, right? So one is we equip the leadership, the CEO, the whoever, we equip them with the ability to communicate the appropriate meta messaging to their team. So that's kind of the first thing. Management itself, the biggest change that we generally see is or biggest the biggest change mm -hmm. they have to make quite frankly is it's a complete culture adjustment because they've gone from you know and i hate to kind of dial it in this way but if you're having us work with you you've probably got these kind of things going on one is you're suspicious that the sales team isn't doing what they enough of what they should be doing or or the results aren't there and you're suspicious right. that yeah they're just maybe not the right people but then you don't want to believe it because that's going to require you to fire people, hire people, invest in onboarding people, these types of things. And because you don't want to right. believe it, you choose not to hold them accountable. And so that's the vicious kind of cycle that we have to break at the management level. At the salesperson level, you have to, it's a whole nother level of friction that you run into. And the friction you run at the salesperson level is, wait, you know, I've been selling for five years. I know what I'm doing. Well, Johnny, right. we wouldn't be here if you guys had sold enough, right? We have a quota. We have, these are the things. And so you run into this kind of thing where you have a salesperson who you're asking to change their behaviors based on best practices. Yeah. But on the other hand, they've never been held accountable. <laughs> so just think about if you're a parent and you let your kids yeah. run rampant. You know, if you're that parent, we've all been at the party having a glass of wine. Yes. And, some, you know, it's one of the parties kids come to. And there's the one parent six-year-old who is running laps <laughs> around you in the room while the adults are talking, right? And so that's the salesperson yeah. that we're trying to change. Yeah, that's so good. And we all know how hard it can be to get behavior to change, like you talked about a little bit earlier. So I want to kind of speak to this yeah. vast group of entrepreneurs that we have listening to the call. And I love talking to you about your business, but what I love the most is just the, the comeback that you had. 
And I know that there are people who may be listening to yeah. this who might be going through a hard time with their business. 2020 maybe hit them hard and it's still hitting them hard because COVID's not over. They've had to flex. Yeah. They've had to change their business model, change what they were doing. What encouragement would you give to entrepreneurs that are out there that are just, you know, they're trying to, to hustle, <laughs> but it's not easy as we all know. What encouragement would you give them? Well, I would say first, it's okay that it's not easy. So first you have to be, you have to kind of lean into the idea that it's okay. Second is you need to start creating your own future. And it sounds like just some words, but I'll tell you how I do it. So I have something called the three foot roll. So just picture yourself standing up. And do you remember when you were a little kid and you'd stand up and put your yeah. arms out to your side and you'd twirl and you'd spin in a circle? So that's my three foot rule is the edges of my fingertips. And so what you visualize is that circle around you. And so the first thing I do is I'm very protective of my emotional so energy. Good. you know. And so from that perspective, if it doesn't come into my three foot circle, which is representative of things that I can actually influence change in, I put zero emotional energy into it. Wow. Because that allows me to maintain it. And I'll give you the example without being political. Everybody knows in the United States, and quite frankly, my friends throughout the, throughout the world <laughs> were making fun of us. But everyone knows the last you know, presidential cycle was marred with yeah. just everybody hated everybody. And you've got friends and families who yeah. are no longer talking because of these two people they've never met. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. You know, and so for me... Like I've got exactly two friends I can talk to about this stuff because I just, it's, guys, I'm going to do my vote and then I'm done. So yeah, it's too polarizing. Yeah. And so the thing, that's the thing you got to understand. So one is where do you put your emotional energy? And the second component of that is my recommendation is only put it into things you can control because the second you pull back from this thought process, which is the losing thought process so many people have is, hey, look, I need Jamie to change her ways mm -hmm. so that I'll be happy. And that's a losing proposition because Jamie's doesn't <laughs> care. Like, or Jamie doesn't know you need it. Right. And so if you're waiting on somebody else or something else in your circumstances to make you happy, I would suggest this is the number one, just big change that you make about your emotional energy and the amount of time that you focus on specific things. Okay. Give me more. Like what's your number two? Because that one's a, a huge one and I love it, but I'm, I'm just so curious. Sure. Like what else are some things that you do yeah. to really ensure that you're in a good place? Yeah. First is first things first, right? So oftentimes I can tell you I've made mistakes in my life for a long time. I'm a pretty good strategic kind of visionary. And even if that doesn't mean five years, it means, you know, one of the things I've done well in my career is something that happens today. I can tell you the implications to the business, three, six, nine, 12, 18 months yeah. out. And what I found, and I probably discovered this about two years ago, two and a half years ago, was I found that that was negatively impacting me in every other area of my life. Wow. And the reason was I'm so focused on the future that I failed to be present. Wow. Right. So I think the other thing is be present because I'll tell you that I made a decision to be present. And it went like this, October, yeah, two and a half years ago. October, two and a half years ago, I literally said out loud and I called five people and told them my intention. I said, here's the deal. I figured this thing out. I'm going to show up and be the best I can every day from here on forward for my clients. I am going to stop looking for where can I be in 18 months? How much money can I make in 18 months? But I'm going to show up in the moment. And then I doubled my income in 90 days. 
It's interesting that you made a change in you, not a change in your quote business. Like the lever you pulled was the lever inside of you. The the only one you really truly, you know, have control of. Obviously we have control of our business and in, you know, what key thrust we put there, but that's really powerful to think that if I can think about how I personally show up different, that's going to create a different result on its own. I don't have to chase the money. I don't have to chase the dream. I have to be the person I'm supposed to be. And then the, the rest of those things will follow. Yeah. My dad's an engineer. So I will tell you, so he just turned maybe 72. I just turned 50. And so he just turned 72. And what's interesting, he's an engineer. I'm a risk taker, right? I'm sales, I'm business. <laughs> he's not. And so up until about, oh, I don't know, he's been retired a number of years now, but up until probably the last six months or a year, we couldn't even really talk about stuff, right? But I will tell you that he made one quote that stuck with me all these years. And he said, if you'll strive to be the best at what you do, the money will follow you. So don't get that mixed up. You know, those are the things, lean into it, live in the present, control the things you can control. Now, part of controlling the things you can control sometimes is changing your business model like we've done. Yeah. But what I did first was I made sure I had the data to support that I was doing everything I could so that it would substantiate the decision. Too often, we're like, oh, things aren't going right. And so we look for this. We want to change that. And we change things for the sake of change. Like I've seen too many organizations where the culture is a disaster and it's because of one immutable fact. And that is that the CEO shows up as a helicopter parent. Yeah. They fly in, they fly out. And then therefore everybody knows they don't have to actually make a single change that the CEO recommends because they're going to forget about it. So if they can just withstand the eye of the storm, yes, nothing else has to change. <sighs> You just said a whole lot right there. (laughs) (laughs) You said a whole lot. Well, as I'm listening to you, I'm also thinking about for our listeners, what is their October 2019, right? What is your stake in the ground as, as you're sitting here listening of what you want to do differently in your own life, right? Of how you want to show up differently and really thinking about that and saying, you know, I love the fact that it was a date on a calendar and you remember it even today, that this was an intention. I chose to make. And so even for our listeners, I want you guys to think about what is one intention? What's one thing you can do differently to show up? Can Where can people follow you? Probably the easiest way, honestly, is just to go through LinkedIn and look for Ken Lundin. I'll sure it'll be in the show notes, but it's L-U-N-D-I-N. And do me a favor. Absolutely tell me that you saw me and heard us on the Innovation Meets Leadership. Love to love to actually just hear, you know, hey, if you disagree with everything I said, that's cool too. <laughs> Shoot me a note. But I'd love to see it there. And then our website is, you know, KenLundin.com. And you can see more about Sales Alpha Roadmap and the way that we help businesses. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for your time today and for adding so much value to all of our listeners. It's awesome. Thanks for having me. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. 
We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make Imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at territory.co.